Welcome to our Wednesday friends, Stuart Oldcraft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Good morning, Stuart. And good morning to you, Stephen. And Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economic Correspondent. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Stephen. Great to have you on the show as our Wednesday regulars. Let's start off with the two tech giants that announced their results today. Both Google and Microsoft beat expectations. Now, what I find interesting is that many investors are asking how they can monetize AI. And as I'm someone who's already paying 300 US dollars a year for unlimited use of GPT-4, I can't understand that. What do you think, Barry? Well, I'm not sure you're getting good value for your investment. That seems like a fair bit of money. But uh, ponder that question, Stephen, and uh, I look forward to your answer. As to why these companies are doing well, I think it goes far beyond AI. The fact is that the advertising business is coming back. You're quite right that Apple, Google, Microsoft are leaders in the the move towards AI. And I think it reflects a lot of optimism about the six months ahead. And that is a pleasant surprise. So that you found, for example, that after the stock market closed, uh, what, about uh, four or five hours ago, Google is up another 6%. So the market likes it. And it's evidence that these companies are doing very well. And they like getting your $300 a year, Stephen. I'm sure Microsoft is happy. I'm sure they are. How, how can I get it for free then, Barry? Do you know a little trick here? I don't, but I do think there's going to be increased competition. We should also mention Meta, which is in this. This has given new life to the Silicon Valley, which has been depressed for quite some time. But you've got companies that are really bitterly competing to harness this technology, make it applicable to people, and I think bring the price down. So whether that $300 is going to be something you're going to pay two years from now, I'm not sure. I certainly hope not. What do you think, Stuart? Well, it's an interesting question you're posing. Um, Why are these big companies, Google, Microsoft, uh, Barry's raised the name Meta as well, why are they doing so well and how are they going to meta, uh, monetize AI? I think the, the fact of the matter is that people trust them. These are companies that have been around for a long time. They're very stable. The management is, 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 seems to be respectable. And, uh, you know, this is not what Elon Musk is doing for Twitter or X or whatever letter of the alphabet he wants to be this week um and and so they are more likely to go to these better established companies remember as well as many companies in this sort of uh, very advanced tech area are young fresh new and yes they will grow very quickly but they haven't they don't have the many, many years of experience of being in this business that uh, Google and Microsoft have. And that's why people will go to those big companies more likely than they would to the small companies. I think you make an excellent point there, Stuart. You do need a company you can trust because, let's face it, you're inputting quite a lot of personal stuff and data. Precisely. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the opportunity to lose it, to abuse it, um, you know, you, you don't want to go with people who, who, who you have doubts about. How about Yeah, the, I too oh, agree sorry, with on, what Mary. Stuart is saying. I, I think that uh, you have to add also the fact that these companies uh, are cash rich. It costs a lot of money 
to try to mobilize this new technology and put it into your systems. They also benefit from the fact that all of the human resources, the human capital, the people that can put these programs together are in the Silicon Valley. So it uh, combined with the fact that they have trust is a very important element. Yep. And I, I was quite interested to hear something new they announced, which is for $30 a month, uh, so, sorry, $30 a month, you can get a daily summary of your emails. Um, that sounds pretty attractive to me. I think I'm just very interested in anything that saves me time. I, I just look at my delete box, actually. Oh, OK. Is that where my emails are going, Stuart? I remember well, that. Well, you know, the delete box is the single largest box which needs clearing every so often. <laughs> yes. um, because how many emails do you actually read uh, that, you act, that you then keep? Uh, I, my experience is not that many. Yeah. And I, I guess if you've got lots of different inboxes, that service could be quite useful to merge everything <laughs> yeah. in one little summary. Yeah, well, you've got to file it. You know, this is the thing. You get uh, emails have become a massive thing, uh, as would be expected. But you've got to be pretty much on top of it all the time, yeah. filing it, um, deleting it, uh, you know, sort it out quickly. Well, you can actually automate that. So it sounds like mm. you've done that already for me, Stuart, where all my emails to you are going to the trash can. Thank anyway, you. <laughs> no, I'm sure they're <laughs> not. Anyway, let, let's move on. This is a big week as three major central banks will announce any interest rate changes. Most economists expect the Fed to increase the rate, the ECB to increase and the BOGA not to change. Stuart, are you in line with those project predictions? Yes, I am. I think the Fed will increase by 25 basis points. It's, uh, it's widely flagged. I think it's 90, more than 90% of uh, the market believe that's what's going to happen. So uh, tomorrow in the US, uh, uh, that will be what I, I expect to be announced. I think that um, the BOJ, on the other hand, in Japan, is uh, you know, it's a bit more reluctant to change rates. It's the yield curve that they look at, and um, they're on a, on a different basis to the rest of uh, the world, but uh, at least they're, they're, they're increasing rates. But part of the problem in Japan is that um, you've, you've still got vast numbers of saving accounts, massive trillions of dollars in savings and people want to earn more interest uh, but inflation is beginning to occur in Japan so that's probably something that the BOJ will need to look at. Uh, the European Central Bank, ECB, is also likely to increase, in my view. Um, again, inflation in Europe is much higher than in the United States, and so they do see a need to control uh, that. But the ECB has been coming from a fair distance behind the Fed. It's much slower in terms of its rate increases, and so um, this, this has been something of a problem for them. Barry? Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, BOJ will stand pat. Uh, they're fighting a different set of problems than either the Europeans are or the Americans. Uh, clearly, as Stuart indicated, the Federal Reserve has, has forecast and, and telegraphed to the market that it will raise by 25 basis points. The question will come in the press conference to Jay Powell, is this the last one or will there be one more interest rate rise in this cycle? The economy is strong, so I think there could be one more. In terms of Europe, yeah, 
uh, inflation is higher, but growth is also weaker. So they've got more of a dilemma. And uh, they've also got the fact that they have one monetary policy for all those countries, and everyone has their own fiscal policy. So it's very hard to really organize and keep inflation down and keep it steady uh, among 20-odd countries in Europe. It sounds like we've got alignment with our two experts, with the other yeah. economists, so that's good um, to one, hear. One point I'd, I'd just add to the discussion, especially as far as the U.S. is concerned, um, the economy, as Barry has said, is very strong. It's robust. Uh, unemployment is quite low. It's at 3.6%. There are more jobs being brought to the market still. Um, so the, the um, issue is not about job losses. It's about um, uh, job growth at the moment. But the, the Fed and uh, the government will be concerned that uh, they, they don't want to see a recession occur, um, which has been discussed a little bit in the past. And what they're most worried about is just to ensure that the economy continues to roll on as it currently is. Yeah, and I'll be digging deeper with Barry about that in view from the US later. But good to get your um, thoughts on that, Stuart. Um, Let's move on to the IMF. Now, I believe, Barry, you've been schmoozing at the IMF today. So what I'm interested to hear is what's the word on the street? What are people talking about? What have they reacted to from any of the announcements today from the IMF? Well, I think the real message is that the global economy is somewhat stronger than had been thought, certainly better than the IMF itself had thought just three months ago, a lot better than what it thought six months ago. So despite all of the gloomy predictions that private forecasters have made, uh, no recession yet obvious in the Eurozone, certainly none visible in the United States or Canada, and Japan has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, the other factor, I think, Stephen, is that uh, China and India are the great winners among the emerging markets. Yeah. And the IMF did not change any of its forecasts for those countries. I mean, China's going to grow, they say, by 5.2% this year. And India, even more, 6.1%. So if you're looking for winners, it's those countries where you are and over to the, to the West in India that are really shining and coming back very strongly from the pandemic. Now, they also mentioned about one of the biggest threats, in addition to sluggish growth on the mainland, is climate change. So are they actually thinking some of this freak weather we've been having this year could actually impact global growth? Yeah, but uh, there was no specific mention of that in the press conference that, uh, that you mentioned I attended. Uh, no, they, they, uh, they, they, they flag it because everyone knows that we've got this uh, amplitude in climate right around the planet and that um, Europe and America and parts of Asia are burning up while there's too much rain and cold in other places. Look, there needs to be action, but the IMF is not the organization that's saying this is what needs to be done, nor are they saying that if you don't act, this is going to have such and such a percentage effect on, on, on global growth. They are happy with the fact that inflation generally throughout the world is coming down, and that's a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to you, Stuart, and moving on to the mainland. So yesterday saw incredible growth in Chinese property shares, a lot based on the simple fact that the Politburo did not say their usual mantra of, quote, houses are for living in, not for speculation, unquote. 
Um, they miss that out of the latest statement, uh, which people are reading into that there's going to be potential stabilisation steps for the property market. But Stuart, could they be reading too much in them, just missing out that statement? Absolutely. I think that um, this is a very false position that we're just seeing right now. Um, yes, of course, the Politburo came up with some some positive words. They didn't come up with any actual policies. They didn't, they didn't say exactly what they were going to do. They just said that this is what they want to do. Um, and this has been received by a very depressed property market very positively. And so the inevitability is that property shares bounce up quite sharply. I think this is very false because the size of the debt that the property market in China is facing is massive. The oversupply of property, the numbers of incomplete or empty properties is enormous. And uh, I think that uh, this is going to take quite a lot longer and quite a lot more um, resolve to, to um, be sorted out. Meanwhile, um, the rest of the Chinese economy is also beginning to slow down, as we've discussed previously. And uh, the, the property market is not the route with which to support the whole of the Chinese economy. Uh, and and that's would, that would appear to be the way in which it was received yesterday by this very sharp rise in, in shares. But Frankly, it's all very speculative, and I think uh, over the next week or two, unless we hear some very positive um, noise coming from Beijing, I think, I think we'll start to see a lot of this roll back, uh, possibly below where it, is current, where it was currently, um, because if it, the, the market is looking for something, and it may not get what it, what it expects. Your thoughts, Barry? Well, I think uh, I defer to uh, Stuart on this one and, and to you, Stephen. I think that uh, you're so much closer to it. The fact is that um, viewed from the United States, China is doing fine. Yeah. It's well, all yes, relative. I think that's. I mean, that's the view from the U.S. And I think um, you know, from a, that's from an economic perspective. And the U.S. wants to be part of it if they can be, but within the terms of the U.S. Um, uh, demand. And uh, you know, we, we, uh, there is that opportunity still there. Thank you both. Thank you, Barry and Stuart. And Barry will be back later. With